0: We have finished up our series on prayer, specifically the Lord's Prayer. And that was really an encouraging time for me um, to study the Lord's Prayer and to what it means. And um, last week in our final message of it, we said some things about fear and revering, revering God and how we pray to Him. And it really, I couldn't stop thinking about that all week and having a proper understanding of the fear of God and what that really means. And... Um, Because we serve a God that really is worthy of praise, right? I mean, we serve a God that truly is awesome. And we can't even put it in words uh, how awesome he is. And part of the worship process is having a reverential fear of God and understanding what that means. And as I've been thinking about that all week, I've been realizing that we have a tendency possibly as a church to fall into a very casual approach to church. We can come in and we can become very um, comfortable. And I'm not saying that's bad, but I am reminded that God is worthy of good organization. God is worthy of good planned things. And I just felt checked in my spirit that maybe sometimes we come too casually before this God. God and that we need to make sure that we're keeping ourselves in proper understanding of what it means to fear God. And so the Lord just put this message on my heart this week, and um, the, the concern of that is that it, become, it can become heavy and hard, and it can become um, oppressive. And I don't want it to be that way today. I, I don't want anything said today coming regarding the fear of God to be something that would become um, something that we would have to um, squirm under, other than the fact that we would recognize that God is worthy of all of it and that we need to have a proper fear of him. Does that make sense? Do, do you, I mean, can you sense somehow, sometimes how we can be sloppy in our approach to God? Sometimes we can get a little bit too casual. See, I think we are people of extremes. We will either go to the extreme of strict and become very rigid and, 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 and hard, or we can become very loose and sloppy. <laughs> I think the Lord likes the middle. <laughs> I think he wants us to have a proper understanding of who he is, but I think he wants us to be comfortable at the same time. At the same time, we're fearful. At the same time, we have no fear. You know, it's just one of those, the Lord, he's full of mysteries like that for us. And, and I think if, we, if we're not careful, we can, be some, we can become so casual that we can, become, we can feel that revering God is optional that we don't have to do this it becomes optional and it becomes commonplace. And this is where our relationship with God can begin to become dangerous. We can be our own danger when it comes to this. Oswald Chambers, most of you probably have heard of Oswald Chambers. He's a, he was a great godly man and a great writer. He says this, he says, If we have never had the experience of taking our commonplace religious shoes off, our commonplace religious feet, and getting rid of all the undue familiarity with which we approach God, it is questionable whether we have ever stood in his presence. The people who are flippant and familiar are those who have never yet been introduced to Jesus Christ. I mean, it makes me think of Moses coming before the burning bush. You know, he, comes, he comes in front of this, this bush that burns but doesn't burn up. And God says, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. Yeah. He was approachable, but, we had to, but he had to approach God on God's standards, not on his standards. Yeah, amen. So what Oswald Chambers is trying to say here is that until we develop and maintain the true respect and the fear of the Lord, that we probably really don't have a relationship with him. Does that make sense? The relationships bring us into a... Um, A closeness, but yet we have to revere and respect. And I love it when God confirms a message that He lays in my heart because on Thursday in the mail, I got a little plant pamphlet here called Table Talk. Table Talk is put out by Ligonier Ministries, uh, of which R.C. Sproul was the, the leader, and he passed away recently. And I know that R.C. Sproul, and I have some differences in some of the doctrines that we believe in our faith, but at the same time, when I got this in the mail, I couldn't help but look at it because the title of this particular um, pamphlet is Fearing God. I thought, wow, there must be something here I'm supposed to read. So as I opened it up, I opened to the first page, and it says, The Fear of the Lord, written by Dr. Burke Parsons, who is the editor of Table Talk. And, And let me read to you what he says about the fear of the Lord. says, One of the most severe indictments the Apostle Paul ever leveled against humanity is that there is is no fear of God before their eyes. And he references Romans 3.18. This statement has always been true of sinners who openly deny Christ. However, it is also increasingly true of many professing Christians. This is partly because many pastors not only avoid talking about the fear of God, But they also avoid talking about anything that would give people a reason to fear God. They avoid any mention of sin, hell, and condemnation. What's more, they avoid all talk of holiness, wrath, and sovereignty of God. This is happening not only in many mainline churches that abandoned the word of God decades ago, but also in churches that claim to affirm the historic confessions of faith. He goes on to say, People don't want a God of holiness and wrath. They only want a God of love and peace. They don't want a God who hates their sin. They want a cuddly teddy bear God who will be their buddy. The reality is that people don't want to fear God because they don't actually know the God of Scripture while presuming upon his grace to save them. If we know the Lord, we fear the Lord because he has put the fear of himself into our hearts. And he references Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 39 through 40. And it says, I will give them singleness of heart and action. So that they will always fear me, and that all will, let, will then go well for that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them, and I will inspire them to fear me, so that they will never turn away from me. As Christians. We don't have a groveling, cowering, slave-like fear of the Lord. Rather, we have a loving, reverential, humble fear of the Lord. The gospel is the difference between being afraid of God and fearing God. It's only when we come to fear the Lord that the Lord tells us not to fear him. Isn't that good? It's only when we come to fear the Lord that the Lord tells us to fear not. For when we know the love of God in Christ... The Spirit casts out all fear and instills in us love and adoration that we might work out our salvation with fear and trembling and worship the Lord before his face with reverence and awe. Man, he nailed it. He nailed it. That's, that's awesome. A proper fear of the Lord is truly the beginning of all things in our life. Nothing good happens in our life until we have a proper fear of the Lord because he saves us from our eternal consequences of sin. That's the power of God. He saves us through Jesus Christ, through the blood of Christ. He saves us from our own consequences. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs nine ten: The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So you see, fear is the beginning of our relationship with the Lord. Having a proper fear of God is the beginning of things. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, then what, does, then what does not fearing God result in? Well, read it. It says that we would become fools despising wisdom and instruction and knowledge, and we become dangerous to ourselves and to others. Having a proper fear of the Lord is very important. Let me give you a couple examples. When I first started working in the automotive industry, I worked at Allen Bradley, which became Rockwell International, and this is back in 1984, Um, we had a, a very strict attire. We were supposed to wear suits and ties on the job. I mean, not just sport coats, not like this. This would be business casual, and this would not be acceptable. We had to wear suits and ties. Right, Chris? I mean, I had to go buy a whole new wardrobe right out of college, and I had to have Uh, shoes that were polished. Ted Schaller, the vice president of sales at the time when we were in a training program in Milwaukee, he would walk and he would inspect us like the military. He would look at our shoes and make sure they were shined and he would make sure we looked the part. And we were engineers that were selling factory automation stuff um, and we were to then go out and go into the factories, the dirtiest places we could think of, and climb on the machines and do all the stuff wearing a suit. And he said if you get grease in your shirt so be it. Wash it or buy a new one. If you rip your pants on a machine, so be it. Go buy a new suit. But you're not going to get away from it. I mean, we were that attire. We were that strict in our in our attire. And all the engineers at Ford Motor Company, too, wore ties at that time. Everybody wore ties. It was very proper. And then a few years later, it we went to business casual. And I will tell you that the trend from business casual went to business sloppy because then it became very... It just went the extreme the other way. And I don't know if it really affected the way I looked at people, if I looked better, but I think it did. I think the better I dressed and the better my customers dressed, I think the more respect we had for each other. Um, That's just a thought. But here's the thing that I really wanted to, to tell you about too, is that as we worked around these very powerful machines, we had to have a respect of them. Because we could get hurt by them very easily. You're talking to robots. You're talking things that move by themselves. You're talking things that are programmed. And you're talking big uh, stamping presses and things that stamp metal sheets and, you know, machining centers. And these things are very powerful. But as they're engineered, they're engineered with safety guards all around them. There are uh, safety light curtains and there are other safety mechanisms that are designed to keep the people out of the pinch points designed to keep us out of the dangerous part of the machines. But yet, the danger is that we become too comfortable around those machines. We get too comfortable with what we think is going to happen, and we work around the safety system. And that's when the accidents happened. People got hurt. People got arms cut off. People got fingers cut off. People got crushed in machines because they worked around the safety guards. They got too comfortable around this awesome machine that was designed to do a great work, and they got hurt. It happened more than what you want to realize. And then they would blame the machine. Well, think about how this applies to our spiritual life. Allow me to reference another article from Table Talk. The author says this. Historically, one of the important uses of the law of God was to restrain evil in a general sense by cultivating a a healthy fear of God and the consequences of our actions. Yet our society has lost even the most basic fear of God that would otherwise restrain evil acts. Unfettered by a healthy fear of God, everyone does what is right in his own eyes. And thus, close on the heels of this moral anarchy is the breakdown of society itself. God places all kinds of safeties around our our life as well, called the Word of God. He places all kinds of things intended to keep us out of trouble. But if we don't respect those, if we don't honor those, we are, in essence, working around the safety mechanisms of our life to allow our own desires and our own justifications be the ruler of our life. And that's where it gets dangerous. See it was never the machine's fault if a man sh- if a man got caught in it if if a man you know disabled the safety curtain or snuck under the gate because he wanted to fix something and he didn't go the proper procedures it wasn't the machine's fault that the man got hurt likewise if i'm not reading god's word if i'm not fearing god the way i properly should fear god if i'm not revering his words and if i got hurt it's not god's fault but yet we often blame God, like there would be lawsuits about the, for the OEM that built a machine and it wasn't even the machine's fault, right? You see that, how that works? Every time we slip by one of those safety guards, we lose more fear of the Lord. Every time that we justify, every time that we compromise, every time that we do this, we lose more fear of the Lord and we find ourselves in very dangerous territory. The worldview today is changing more quickly than than it's ever changed before to a relative morality. Your truth, my truth, your truth stays with you, my truth stays with me. What's right for me is good for me. What's right for you is good for you. It's all relative based on how we feel about some things. Well, the real danger here is that it's slipping into the church. The real danger is that it's just not in the world anymore, but it's coming into the walls of the church. And there's something we need to do. We need to be alert, and we need to protect ourselves against this compromise. Peter gave warning to the church, in, on, when he was talking to them about how the church may suffer for being a Christian, he gave a warning to the church that the church much, must judge themselves. First Peter chapter four, beginning at verse 17. Peter says, "For it is time for judgment." do you hear the word? It is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Peter says the church, we are to judge ourselves. Not a popular word today. Judging ourselves is not popular. My Bible commentary says this about this passage. This practice of self-examination, humility, and turning from any sin, any sin within the church is necessary if the church is to see any degree of spiritual revival among believers and any significant influence for Christ in their communities. Yeah. Yeah. If we're truly going to be the servant of God, then we need to have a reverential fear of him and a respect of him and a recognition of who he is and why he is worth following. Why is he worth me being a disciple of Christ? I'm reading a book um, called The Call from Oz Guinness. This is an assignment for the Colson Fellows program that I'm in. And Oz Guinness is a, a really a good speaker, a great author, and his message is coming um, to us as a challenge that this commonplace nature of our lives need, needs to change, that we need to, be, uh, we need to um, come under a, a new regime, that this, this lack of fear of God is resulting in a lackluster way of many people serving God because we don't have a fear of him anymore, so we serve in the way we want to rather than the way he deserves. As says this, faith in Christ will regain its decisive authority in the modern world only when we who follow Christ fear God more than we fear the powers and favors of the modern philosophy of Christianity. Basically, he's saying what Michael said, we need to fear God more than we fear men. We need to fear God more than we're we're afraid of what people are going to think of me. We need to fear God more than, uh, what, is, what, what are people going to think of me if i have totally sold out to Christ? I mean, I may, I may lose some friends over this. I may lose some respect by the worldly people that I used to run with. What are they going to think of me? Well, can I just tell you that you're not going to stand before them come Judgment Day. You're going to stand before the God that created all the universe with all the power in the world, and you're going to stand before him, and you're going to have to explain to him then why these people were worthy of your fear more than him. And uh, can I tell you, it's not going to go well for you? That's not going to be a good answer? So therefore, we don't fear people. We don't fear men. We don't fear the organizations or the the, the social norms of our our worldview today. We don't fear that. Sandra and Lawrence Bergman brought this to me a few, oh, a couple years ago. And I have this little note pinned up on my wall. And it, is, it says this, and I really appreciate this because when Sandra gave it to me, I could see it in her eyes that she really believes this. It is better to be divided by truth than united in error. It is better to speak truth that hurts and then heals than to speak a lie. It is better to be hated for telling the truth than to be loved for telling a lie. It is better to stand alone with truth than to be wrong with the multitude. The religion of today is get alongism. It is time for men and women of God to stand, even if they have to stand alone. And I read that quite often because I need to hear that quite often because it is too easy to get wrapped up into the multitudes. It's too easy to get wrapped up into, why, what are they going to think if I say that? What, am I gonna, what are they going to think if I do this or if I don't do that? Well, can I tell you guys, that's the time to stand strong. Oz Guinness says this, all too often our familiarity, that's a hard word for me to say, all too often our familiarity with the Gospels breeds inattention. I can get so comfortable with the Gospel message that it loses its impact on me on a daily basis. I can be so comfortable with it that I lose the power that it has. Can you remember the joy and the freedom of the day that you first received Jesus? Can you remember, can you go back to the day when you first received him and you felt, remember the joy and the lightness of your heart and the peace that you had when you first found Jesus? Do you still have that joy today? Well, some of us do, some of us don't. I will tell you, the life can wear you out sometimes, right? So where has it gone? if, If we lost the joy, where does it go? Well, let me tell you, if you've lost some of the joy, you're not alone in the journey. You're not alone if you have, because even the converts of Jesus had lost their joy when they saw the reality of what it meant to follow Jesus, and many of them became fearful and fell away. Jesus converts. I mean, this isn't Paul. This isn't me. This is Jesus. Oswald Chambers, in his article on the discipline of dismay, says this. At the beginning of our life with Christ, we were sure we knew all there was to know about following him. It was a delight to forsake everything else and to throw ourselves before him in a fearless statement of love. But now we're not quite so sure. Jesus is far ahead of us and is beginning to seem different and unfamiliar. Jesus was was going before them, and they were amazed, and they were afraid. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. We have to recognize that Jesus lost many followers because they were looking for a different kind of Savior than what Jesus was. Jesus' life and his teaching was not all about love and easy living. Do you know that? Jesus said some hard things to his followers. To be a true follower of Christ was more than just proclaiming it. It was actually doing some hard things. And I am not trying to discourage anybody in their Christian walk today, but I truly want to make sure that we understand how we come to God. We come to God on his terms, not on our terms. If Moses would have said, No, God, I'm not going to take off my sandals because my back's sore and I really don't want to bend over and untie un- 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 them because it's too difficult, God would not have allowed him to proceed. He would not have said, Okay, Moses, come on, anyways. No, you come, he said, Moses, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. We come to God on his holiness, not on our perceptions. Let me give you an example of some of the things that Jesus said. John chapter 6, verses 53 through 57, and then verse 59. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them just as a living father sent me i live because of the father so the one who feeds on me will live because of me hard words to understand right and here's and and here's what verse 59 said he said this while teaching in the synagogue of capernaum jesus was speaking to the religious people of the day if jesus was here today he'd be speaking in church he would be talking to the christians And then listen to how this was received. Continuing on in verse 60 of John chapter 6, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. And then verse 66, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And then Jesus asked the 12, You do not want to leave too, do you? Pretty hard words. Jesus was talking in church, and most of the congregation got up and walked out. And his disciples are sitting in the front row, and Jesus said, Hey, boys, what do you think? Are you going to leave me too? See, we have this misconception that God is just full of love and he's a teddy bear, as we said at the beginning, and that he will just accept me any way I am. Yes, he does, but then he expects you to clean up as he cleans you up. You don't have to come clean before him, but yet you have to be willing to listen and to have the fear of God so that you then will change as he promotes the change. Think of the young rich ruler as recorded in Matthew 19 you remember that story? This young rich man comes to Jesus and he has lived a great life. He's lived a very religious life. And he says to Jesus, I've done all these things. I've lived by all these commandments. And then he says, Jesus, what else do I need to do to come into heaven? And basically, he wasn't really asking the question. What he was really trying to do is say, Jesus, look how good I am. Is there anything else you need from me? Because look how good I am. And Jesus said, yes. Sell, sell all you have, give it to the poor and follow me. And on hearing that, Their young, rich ruler said, I can't do that. I can't do that. Too much. You've asked too much of me. And what did Jesus do? When the young man started to walk away, he let him walk away. He didn't say, wait, give me 50%. No, I'll compromise with you. No, Jesus wants it all. He wants it all. And the reality is if the man would have given it all, Jesus, I'm assuming this, but this is just on the character of God, if if the man really would have done it, I will tell you that probably his life would have been double at the end of the day because Jesus probably would have given it back to him with double interest. That's the kind of character of God we serve if we'll just trust him. But we have to have the fear of God. Now, I've said a lot here this morning, so let's just take a breath. Because I don't want people to get lost, and I don't want i don't want, certainly don't want to hurt people. But I, what we need to see where we're going this morning, right? We there is a, there is a consumer mentality of the modern church that wants to make the gospel cheap. And selfish, it's all about me. I come to church because it's all about me. I come to church because I want to get fed i come to church because i i want myself to be satisfied and it's all about an immediate desire and trying to force scriptures to say things they don't really say when it comes to me having to sacrifice anything in relationship to jesus so we pick and we cherry pick the scriptures we find our very our, our favorite scriptures and we we live our life on those because they're easy or because they make me feel good rather than reading the full counsel of god It's about me making Jesus my best friend and my buddy. And it's and He's happy to go with me wherever I want to go, doing whatever I want to do. God's happy with me. And He's okay with it. Well I know God loves us. But I do want you to know too that He has some expectations. Matthew chapter sixteen, verses twenty four through twenty seven. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You see, God's trying to make a trade. What he's saying is if you're willing to lose your life for me, I'll give it back. You'll find it. But what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is coming in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each poor person according to what they have done. There is expectations for us. Yes, God loves us. Absolutely, he loves us. And I don't want to make this seem like it's so hard to live for Jesus and, diffi- and, and difficult. But we ne- we have to recognize that as I love Christ and as I surrender my life to him the more i do that the easier it becomes to live for him do you know that the more i surrender to him the easier it becomes not more difficult it's difficult when i'm not surrendering it's difficult when i'm wanting to do it the what uh, on my way now it becomes hard because now i'm trying to figure out ways around the safety guards when i just surrender my life to jesus and say god i'm all in I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I'm all in. Now it becomes easy. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. And then a little bit later in that chapter, verses 13. If you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season both autumn and spring rains so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied. There is great joy and great blessing when we totally surrender to him and obey him. Amen? I know that many of us experience that on a daily basis. That's awesome. Let me go back to the little table talk that i read a little bit earlier the author says this a recent popular movement among evangelicals has suggested that the idea of the love of god is so strong in scripture that any sense of fearing god is is a mark of spiritual immaturity to fear god according to this movement suggests that we do not really understand who god is and the love god has for us in christ in this view love wins And since God is all-loving, not only should Christians not fear God anymore, but God is too loving to send anyone to hell. This view rejects the justice of God and his redemptive plan to rescue a blood-bought bride out of his sin-stained world and deliver her safely into the bliss of eternal life in communion with God. I'm suggesting this morning that a proper understanding and an acceptance of the fear of God is the joy of our obedience in our salvation and nothing short of it the more I surrender the more I have joy Psalms 119 verse 166 I wait for your salvation Lord and I follow your commands I obey your statutes for I love them greatly For I obey your precepts and your statutes for all my ways are known to you can you say that you love the Word of God Can you say that you read it and you love it? You meditate on it and you let the words of what it says sink in, even if they're hurtful words to you, even if it makes you stand alone in the world? Jesus confirms this message of love when he quoted in the Gospel of John. It says, Jesus replied, John chapter 14, verse 23, the fruit of the fear of God is this, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Do you want to be in the presence of God? Then obey his teaching. You obey his teaching, and the Father and Jesus will make their home in your heart. They will come, and they will live with you, and you will abide with them when you obey them. Amen. That's a good word. That that is awesomeness. That is the fear. That is having a true fear of the Lord. We fear God because he is the only one worth fearing and the only one worth serving at the same time. His love is so amazing and his blessings are so bountiful that there's nothing we can do to grasp that. I, I just You can't say that enough. It's one of those, those, those mysteries of God that when we choose to revere him and accept his holiness, then we can truly be holy as he is. Right? That is, that's what it's all about. That's what I'm trying to encourage us as a body of Christ to become, to become that holy remnant, to become that holy body of Christ that is holy into Jesus And, and surrendering to him in everything we do and that we reject sin. If we can just get to understand that and accept that, that when God tells us no about anything, he's only trying to protect us from ourselves. When God says, no, don't do that, he's, what he's really saying is, no, don't hurt yourself. Don't think that he's trying to take your joy. Don't think that he's trying to take your happiness or your fun out of life by giving you good, solid, biblical, moral commands. What he's doing, he's, he's making sure that all the safety guards are around your life, protecting you from yourself. Because we are the ones that get caught into temptation and sin. It's not the devil. It's us. It's me. And when God says no to Mike, what he's really saying is, I got something better for you. If you'll just be patient with this. Don't rush this. Don't jump into that. Don't go there because I've got something better for you. If you will just honor me and if you will fear me, I will give you your blessings and so much more, not just for this life, but for all eternity. Wow, that is a good trade, folks. Giving up a little bit right now that's not good for me, anyways, only to get what God's got for me in store for now and eternity? Great trade. I'll take it any day of the week. It sounds good right now. But can I do it on Tuesday night? Can I do it on Thursday morning? Ah, come on. This is where we have to have the discipline in our life. Jackie, if you'd come, please. Let me wrap this up by reading this final statement on Table Talk, written by Dr. Kim Riddlebarger. The fear of the Lord remains, then, a great source of blessing. Knowing that Jesus was punished for my sins in my place reminds me both that God is to be feared. In other words, God takes sin seriously. And yet is love, of which the cross is the sign. See that right there? The gift goes on. Jesus hung on a cross like that, not for just that day, but for today. That cross is a sign of God's love for us today. Dr. Rudelbarger goes on, Now that my sins are washed away, I can obey God, knowing that he is pleased with my pitiful efforts because I am accepted in the person and work of his Son. This is how all promised blessings become mine because I fear the Lord, having found forgiveness through the cross of Christ. Amen. Can we appreciate this morning how much God loves us? How much he loves you, and how he's proven it to you by the cross on which Jesus paid for your sins, for my sins? Let me ask this morning, Are we dishonoring the Lord and Savior in any way by us not giving him awesome fear and respect in our life? What are the areas that you're keeping from him? Are you keeping areas from him? What does this look like? Are we ignoring the commands and making up our own set of standards on how we should live that are easier for us to deal with? We read scripture. We know what it says but I don't like it so I'm going to work around it you know what that is? that's dangerous that's dangerous that's getting getting into the safety zone of the machine and you could get crushed are we so comfortable in the presence of God that we can either take it or leave it that it becomes optional to praise oh I don't have to worry about vertical worship next Saturday night because I've got a relationship with the Lord God's grace covers me so I don't need to come to that I'm good I'm telling you, where's your desires? Where's your heart? Are we finding it easier not to press into the presence of God and assuming that He's okay with it because we have so many other pressing matters in our life? And I'm not sure what the right question to ask you is. These are questions that hit me. You have your own questions but all I'm asking of us this morning is that we examine our own hearts and that we be sure that we're not reducing God down to our levels of comfort and that we're not changing the rules to make it comfortable for us. This is not a hard teaching. This is freedom. This is freedom. This is freedom. You want freedom in Christ? Then fall on your face before him and say, God, I fear you. I fear you with all that I am. Forgive me of my sin. Restore me. Give me a new way to see your word. Help me to understand what you ask of me and help me to do it joyfully. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just... I just ask you to look down upon us and share your heart with us about your feelings. How do you feel, Father, when we make our own way? How do you feel when we don't have fear of you? Would you make that revelation to me and to everyone here this morning that your heart is moved and touched? as we're in fearful reverence of you, honoring every word that you've said to us, that we're not looking for workarounds, that we truly are fearing you the way you deserve to be feared so that we can have no fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. But it only comes when my love with you and my relationship with you is in perfect harmony. If I have sin in my life, I have reason to have fear. If I have Ignorance, if I have rejection, if I have rebellion in my heart, then I have reason to have fear. But when I surrender that, I have joy and I have peace. And then you say, fear not, little one, because I have you in my hand. So this morning, as you're sitting in your place of seating right now, ask yourselves the questions. Are there areas in my life that I don't fear God in? Are there areas in my life that I have chosen to keep him out of? And here's what you do with those. If you have those, you ask God to forgive you for those. And you simply say, I'm sorry. I surrender those areas to you. Would you please forgive me of those areas? And then would you give me the ability, God, not to go back and repeat those sins again? And give me the ability to fear you in those areas. And Lord, I pray that you would put a healthy dose of fear in the lives of your people today. That they would not go back to those areas where they played with in the past. That they would look at them truly as as things we need to avoid. Not because you're trying to take away our fun, not because you're trying to take away our life, but because you're trying to give us life. Because you're trying to give us freedom. Freedom. I pray, Father, that you would just make this revelation knowledge pure and true in our heart and life today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing the song that Jackie and Tom are playing, I, I just encourage you to continue to let the Lord work on your heart. And the altars are open this morning. If you want to come up and just take, take some time with the Lord and just say, Father, I've got some things to talk to you about. The altars are open. Let's not rush out of here, but let's just give the Lord an opportunity to deal with us this morning. Amen. Let me tell you how much Jesus loves you today. Let me just tell you how much he loves you today. Thank you for being faithful to him, he says. Thank you for honoring me. Thank you for those that are God-fearing. Thank you. I appreciate that. He loves it when we fear him so that he can say, Fear not, little child, because I have you. So as you go to your homes today, just go in the love and the fear of God, knowing that he has you in his hand. If there's something you should have done today and you didn't do it, it's not too late. But if you have an assurance in your heart that you are truly loving Jesus, you are truly fearing him, then rest assured that he has you and that he is comforting you and he is going to give you the blessings of this life. And I bless you as you go to your homes today. Be blessed in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You're blessed and you're free to go in the love of Christ. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.